This is Andrew Womack, and on this tape, I'm beginning a series talking about how to deal with grief. And of course, this is from a scriptural perspective about how I believe God has shown us in his word to deal with grief. And I want to offer this to any person who feels that uh, they are in a grieving process and they're trying to put that behind them and move on with their life. And I want to say that I'm going to be ministering some things that will certainly be different than many of the things that you could hear from other people. And, of course, uh, that's actually the reason why I felt impressed to minister this, because I've heard many ministers talk about dealing with people who are in grief, and even though they offer some things that certainly are valid, and I know that there's some good things, uh, often they minister some things that I believe are exactly opposite what God would want to say to a person. And so I felt like that I have some things that the Lord has shown me how to deal with grief. I've applied this in my own personal life, and of course, as I've pastored three churches, and then as I've been in the ministry for over 33 years, I've not only dealt with personal grief, but I've ministered to many, I couldn't even say hundreds of people who were in just terrible situations. I mean, grief seems to happen to everyone. And so I've had some experience dealing with it personally as well as ministering to others. And I've seen the things that the Lord has shown me and that I will be sharing on these uh, series of tapes. I've seen these things just transform people's lives and set them free. And I think some of these things aren't said often enough. So therefore, I really felt impressed that uh, the things that the Lord has shown me, I would like to make this tape set to offer to you and to be a blessing to you. Let me say that because it is different, uh, you know, some of the things I say here could be considered, um, I don't know how to say this, harsh or insensitive to a person who is dealing with grief. But uh, sometimes you do have to be a little tough or just confrontive to get a person to recognize some things. And I just want to assure you that the reason I'm doing it the way I'm doing it is not because of a desire to hurt or criticize or anything. The whole purpose of this tape set is to really help people and to be a comfort to people. But I think that sometimes you've just got to get, uh, you know, serious. You got to get straightforward with a person, and you can't. Uh, I just haven't got time. I don't believe it's the way that God has led me to beat around the bush. And so I want to offer the things I say to you and. Uh, I encourage you to please pray about it and and try and receive it in the spirit is in which it is given. Also, let me say this. I know that many of you are thinking, so what right do you have to speak about how to deal with grief? Well, I'm not going to go into, um, you know, a great personal explanation of all the tragedy that I've experienced, but everybody experiences tragedy in their life, and I've certainly had my share of it. My grandmother, who basically raised me up until the time I was about six or seven years old, she died when I was eight, and so I had to start dealing with death at a very young age. Uh, my father died just a few days after I'd turned 12, and uh, I mean, that was a traumatic experience for me. I was in the sixth grade when that happened, and uh, I remember that very vividly. I was unofficially engaged to this girl. I hadn't asked her, but we had talked about it. Everybody else seemed to think that that's what was going to happen. And I was in Vietnam and got an emergency leave and came home and was with this girl. When she died, that was when I was 19 years old. 
And then through the ministry, I have dealt with many people. I've been with uh, people. I held a four-year-old boy in my arms as he died, and we prayed for a couple of hours for him to be raised from the dead, and he wasn't, and I had to deal with that personally as well as minister to the parents. I've conducted funerals. I've dealt with just a lot of things, as I'm sure many of you could imagine, and I'm not going to elaborate except to say that I do feel qualified. This is not something that I'm saying flippantly. I have been there. I've been in situations where I honestly thought that I could not live, that it was just greater than I could bear. And of course, there's more grief than just death. And I want to make this clear at the beginning of this teaching. Some people may be listening to this set, and uh, maybe it's not the death of someone who has grieved you, but you can grieve over a lot of things. Uh, you can actually grieve over a, a marriage that is going sour, over children that are in rebellion, over a career that has failed, over mistakes that you've done, over um, you know just ways that you can mess up your life or that other people can do things to you. I'm making this tape in the fall of 2001, not long after the World Trade Center and the Pentagon was attacked by terrorist bombers. And we saw the worst terrorist attack in the history of the United States. And you know what? There was a grief and a sadness that came over the entire nation. It riveted our attention. And so you can grieve over many, many, many different things. And and uh, I've just mentioned some things about people who were close to me who died and about people in my churches and people that I've ministered to who dealt with death because that's kind of the ultimate grief when it's somebody close to you, but I do want to make it clear that this will apply to other things. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul spoke here, and he said in verse 3, Blessed be the God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And he goes on. But he here says that when God ministers comfort to one person, well, then the Lord expects us or has enabled us to take the same things that we've learned in the ways that God has ministered comfort to us, and he allows us to share that with others so that they also can be comforted. So I want to say that I'm going to be ministering to you out of things that God has done in my life personally. And, uh, you know, again, I could just spend a lot of time trying to prove to you that I know what I'm talking about in this area. But uh, I really want to use scripture and not just personal experience to be able to minister to you. So I'm going to give the bulk of my time to that. Of course, I will be using personal examples uh, to illustrate things that we're sharing from scriptures. But I just want to encourage you that uh, if I was to sit down and talk to you face-to-face and tell you some of the tragedies, and again, they aren't all to do with death. I mean, I've had things happen. I remember one thing happened. I won't go into detail, but uh, it made Paul Harvey's worldwide broadcast, and he started off saying that this was one of the worst things he had ever heard in his entire life and ministry. He's 80-something years old, been doing this for a long time. And I have had some uh, tragic things happen in my life. 
And I can tell you that without the Lord in my life, I certainly would not have been able to handle it. And so, you know, we could sit down and compare notes and try and prove that my situation has been as bad or worse than yours. But really, that's not the case. Uh, I mean, that's not that's not the uh, issue. That's not important. God has comforted me. And the same things that God has used to comfort me will also work for you. And so I just offer these things to you, maybe not as a complete answer of every single thing, but I believe that this is really going to help you, especially if there is a genuine cause of grief in your life and if you're dealing with it. The very first thing that I want to say is that you need to discern whether the grief that you have is really a godly type of grief. Uh, Another way of saying that is that there are some things that it is genuine and honest to grieve over. There's other things that we do grieve over, but really it shouldn't be. And you have to be able to make a discernment. An illustration of what I'm talking about, I just mentioned, you know, that the World Trade Center and the Pentagon were attacked on September the 11th, 2001. And the whole nation was shocked by this and to hear that there were thousands of people who were just innocently killed. I mean, people who were on airplanes, people who were at work, and just instantly their life was over. And of course, not only the lives of the people who were killed, but then all of the lives of the people who were affected by that, who saw this, who barely escaped, who had loved ones, and on and on. It's just like ripples in a pond. It just goes out and out. And it really affected all Americans. And uh, there was a grief and there was a sadness. I remember it grieved me when I thought about the people that were just instantly ushered into eternity. And it was senseless. There's just no point in it. And I'm not going to get into politics, but that certainly, it doesn't matter what any person feels like has been done to them, whether it was just or unjust. That certainly was not the way to express anything. It was just cowardly. It was demonic. It was evil. And it was unjustified. And I think that the fact that it was unjustified makes it even all the worse. And so because of this, there was a grief that came over people. And, you know, in my estimation, that is a godly type of grief. If a person would have, on September the 11th, 2001, known about this and just been able to ignore it, and say, who cares? It doesn't bother me. And just start laughing and carrying on and act as if nothing had happened. And to be that disassociated and to live as an island to where you don't care about anybody but yourself. Instead of that being good or admirable, I believe that that would be indicative of a major problem in your life. There are some things that there should be grief over. But there are some things that there shouldn't be grief over, and we need to be able to discern the difference between the two. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul said, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Paul here made it clear that grief or sorrow can either be a right type of sorrow that causes something positive in our life and is a right, proper reaction, but then there can be an ungodly type of sorrow that produces death. 
And you have to be able to distinguish between the two. The exact context of what he's talking about here is not necessarily grieving over a person who's died, but rather conviction and sorrow over our sins and over our faults and over the things that we do to other people and to God. And you know what? There is a right type of sorrow. There are some things that we should feel terrible about, our personal actions and things that we've done. There are some things that we experience, such as the death of a parent, a child, a loved one, a good friend, things like this, that there should be a measure of grief if we truly love that person. But I want to make it very clear that that grief should never go as far as it just incapacitates you to where it takes away hope, to where it destroys you. I want to remind you that in Isaiah chapter 53, I know that most of you are probably aware of this passage of Scripture, but just having it, a knowledge that it exists is not going to change your life. It needs to be meditated on until we really believe this and receive the benefit of it. But as in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4, it says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And, of course, this is talking about the Messiah, Jesus. And Jesus literally bore our sorrows and carried our griefs. He didn't just suffer grief and suffer sorrow himself and therefore, somehow or another, that atoned for us. But it says he bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows. It also says that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And Jesus not only bore his own grief and sorrow from rejection and things like that, but he bore our griefs and our sorrows. And again, there is a right place when a person dies or when certain things happen that we should be grieved but it shouldn't go to the point that it brings destruction in our life. And I hope that you understand what I'm saying. I just haven't got time to go into all of this. I want to get on into the answer, but I want to make sure that people do not feel guilty when they grieve over the loss of a loved one, or even uh, if it's not death, there are certain things that it's right to grieve over, like terrorist attacks and the, and what it's done to a nation. When you see a person destroying their life with drugs or with alcohol or sexual sins, or you see someone run off with another person and destroy their own marriage and the effect that that has on a child, or all of these kind of things, you can you can be grieved. It has grieved me often to see the way that people destroy their life, and yet you can't always correct that. And I don't think it's incorrect to be grieved. Matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, the scripture there talks about not grieving the Holy Spirit by which we are sealed unto the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. And, of course, we know that there is no sin in the Holy Spirit. And so there is a proper function of grief. God made us with the capacity that for sadness and for grief, not because it's a something that any of us desire, but the, but it's just normal. It's natural. God made us this way, and you should not feel guilty or condemned over being grieved if there is a valid purpose for it. But you also, like I was saying, you have to discern, is the grief that you're experiencing really a godly type of grief, or is it this grief 
of the world that uh, is going to work death in us, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10. Look at this passage of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. Paul said this, he says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. And then he begins to go on and talk about the blessing that is promised unto us of a resurrection, and not only us, but those who have died before us, and we're all going to be resurrected. And for those who are believers, we will be reunited with them. Death is not a final separation. And so he says that here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But he says here that we should not sorrow as others which have no hope. I believe that one of the ways of discerning whether your grief is a valid grief or if you have given over to a grief that is just destroying you and it's working death, like 2 Corinthians 7.10 says. One of the ways of discerning this is, do you have you lost your hope? Paul here says, don't grieve or sorrow as others that have no hope. In other words, you can't ever get into hopelessness. If the grief that you are experiencing has gone so far that it has caused hopelessness in you, which means that you've lost your excitement and enthusiasm about the future. If instead of being positive and having any desires for something good to come, you just feel like that there's, you know, everything is pointless. Life is pointless. What's the point of going on? And, of course, an extreme of this would be that if a person is given over to hopelessness to the degree that you've been just asking God to kill you, or if you are even thinking of suicide, that's an extreme, but uh, it's certainly wrong. And that is a grief that is working death in you. Jesus bore that kind of grief, and you should not and don't have to bear that. Jesus bore it for you, and there is deliverance for you. So the very first thing I want to say is that you just have to discern, is your grief uh, a proper type of grief, or is it a grief that is working death in you? And one of the key ways of discerning that is, has it caused you to just want to give up? Do you feel hopeless? If you have gone that far to the point that you've grieved and you just want to throw in the towel, you want to run away, you want to quit and give up, there's no point. You've lost all of your hope, all of your excitement about the future. Well, then that is not a proper grief. And I believe that with all of my heart. It doesn't matter what your situation is. I know that uh, I could be talking to some people here who've lost a mate of 50 or 60 years or something, and your whole life has been identified with that person and you now are older in age, and you just think, what's the point? I'm just occupying space. Man, I just as soon die and go on. Well, no, God's left you here for a purpose. And you know what? If nothing else, you ought to get hope about that, God, I know that you bore my sorrow. I know that you carried my grief. I need to get rid of this hopelessness and this feeling that I'm useless and that there's no point in me being here. If God has left you here, if you're breathing, there should be hope on the inside of you. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that God's kind of love hopes all things, bears all things, endures all things, believes all things, 1 Corinthians 13, 8. And if you really have God's kind of love, if you really are drawing on that love, it'll help you to hope in any situation. 
And if nothing else, you need to look at this, that you've got children or grandchildren or friends at church or someone that you know who is looking at you. And if you give up and if you throw in the towel, then you know what? You are missing an opportunity to influence them in a godly way. If you are still here on this earth, it doesn't matter if you're in a nursing home. It doesn't matter if you have a kind of an isolated existence. There are people who are looking at you. And the way you respond is maybe the only Bible that some people is going to read. And they need to see God in you. You have a purpose. You need to pull it together. Just like you would expect someone who is younger and has still children at home. I remember my mother when my dad died. My mother was only about uh, 46 or 47, and there were still two children at home. My sister was in the process of being married and was married just a couple of months after my father's death. I was 12. My brother was 16. And, you know, my mother, even though she was grief-stricken at losing her husband of 20-something years and a person that she really loved, uh, she had two children that she had a responsibility for. And I tell you, I praise God for my mother. What a godly example. And, you know, she could have given in. She could have thrown in the towel. But how would that have affected me? How would it have affected my siblings? How would that have affected other people? There were hundreds and hundreds of people at my father's funeral. And I know that uh, they saw our grief and they wondered how we would cope. And my mother coped tremendously. And I'm not saying that she didn't miss my dad and there wasn't times. I don't even remember and know all of those things because I was only 12 years old. But I know, I, I saw times when tears would well up in her eyes. And yet I also saw her be strong. I saw her go on with her life. I've seen her have a very productive life. That was, again, when she was about 46, 47. At the time I'm making this tape, she's approaching 89 years old. She is a picture of health. She has been a blessing to people. She has joy. She has been a joy and a blessing to me, to all of my brothers and sisters, to the children, the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren, the great-great-grandchildren. She has a rich legacy, and I tell you, regardless of where you are, someone is watching you, and you need to recognize that you need to pull it together and see hope and come up with a purpose. God has a reason For leaving you here, God still has a purpose for you. It doesn't matter if your job has failed. There's life after that. There are many people that actually failure in a job situation has uh, turned out to be a good thing for them because they get up, go again, find greater success than they've ever had before. And there's no way I can name every situation, but regardless of what situation you find yourself in, God's kind of love will always hope. All things. It'll endure all things. It'll believe all things. God's kind of love never fails. And I just want to encourage you that God can help you to pick up the pieces of your life and go on. Now, I know that there's many people who are listening to this who have a very valid form of grief. And I'm encouraging you that there still is purpose, that God has taken your Uh, grief and borne your sorrows and carried those, and you do not have to let this destroy you. This doesn't mean that you ever forget a person who dies. It doesn't mean that you don't ever forget tragedy, but you can get to a place to where it doesn't incapacitate you, where it doesn't depress you, and to where it doesn't steal your hope. 
And that's not only available, that's preferable. That is God's will for you. And for those of you who have a valid form of grief, I want you to just stay tuned here, listen. But I want to say this, that there are some people who you claim to have grief, but the truth is the things you're grieving over are just invalid. I mean, there are, I've, I've met people as a pastor of a church and ministering to people. I've had people come to me who are grieved over things that they shouldn't be grieving over. They're grieved because, you know, their plans have fallen apart. But without me going into specifics, I can remember people that, you know, their plans should have fallen apart. I've talked to alcoholics before who are grieved because they just aren't able to get the money that they need to be drunk all of the time and they're just grieved. Well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't be grief stricken over that. That is absolutely out of the, you know, that's a good thing that's happening to you. You have to be objective enough, regardless of how passionate you feel about something, to actually evaluate, is this something that is really worth grieving over? Is it a godly type of grief? Or is it just because my priorities have been so messed up? You know, I think that all of us could go back and remember maybe the first time you ever fell in love with somebody as a child, you know, puppy love. And yet you were just grief-stricken and thought your world was going to end, and the truth was it wasn't that big of a deal. There are probably some people who have gotten a hold of this tape who are considering yourself as grieving, and yet the truth is you're grieving over things that really is not that big of a deal. You need to look at it this way. A year from now, are you going to be able to even remember what it is that is causing grief in your life right now? Or will you even care a year from now? Now, some of you will probably say yes, if it's really something that was that was valid, some of the tragedies that happened in our life. But if you're one of those that, you know, you can remember back then, a year ago, you were grieving over things, and in the scheme of things, it really was unimportant. Well, you need to evaluate right now. And if you are grieving over something that is really insignificant, but it's just because you are focused, your priorities are out of line, well then, you know what, you need to just, you need to mature. You need to pull your thumb out of your mouth and grow up and not uh, be grief-stricken over that. You know, when this World Trade Center and the Pentagon terrorist attacks happen, uh, when real tragedy happens, in the face of a real, genuine tragedy, I, I know myself and many, many people, I heard people say things like, boy, all of a sudden the things that they were dealing with seemed so insignificant in comparison. We even saw that on a political level, that all of the squabbling and the griping and the fighting and, and all of these kind of things that politicians were doing with each other where they were fighting for their own agenda and all of these partisan things that were done. Did you know that when tragedy, real tragedy struck, all of a sudden those things weren't important. They put aside things. They quit talking about things that had been their pet peeves before that and when people united. All of a sudden we our priorities came back into a right focus. And, you know, uh, that's one of the good things that can come out of a tragedy. But my point here is that I'm sure that there were some people 
who just felt like, man, their life was terrible and they were grieving and it just didn't seem fair. And they were they would have considered themselves grieving justly. And then all of a sudden real tragedy happens and they realize, man, they are blessed. They really didn't have any reason to be griping and, and grieving. You know, if the reason you're grieving is because you're sitting in a traffic jam even though that may not be, you know, something that you enjoy, I don't like them. That's not something to grieve over. Just because, you know, it's things aren't going exactly your way. Those aren't justifications for grief. So first of all, you need to make sure that the things you're grieving about are true uh, things that, that, you know, it's just and it's right to grieve over it. Then the second thing I'd like to minister is for those of you who believe that you really have a uh, justification for grief, that there has been tragedy in your life, I want to share this with you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I have considered this to be one of the most important things I've shared with the hundreds of people that I've dealt with who were grieving over situations. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 13, the Apostle Paul here said, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Now here is a point that I really want to get across. When I have talked to people who are grieving, and I mean struggling with something, I think it's human nature for us to get kind of so focused on that grief that we begin to magnify it and amplify it to a point that we actually think nobody's known the trouble I see. You know, we even have a song about that, an old Negro spiritual that I remember we used to sing in the denominational church. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. And we glorify it and talk about it. I think it's human nature when you are suffering to amplify that and to let that hurt just grow and grow till you come to a place of thinking, nobody knows my situation. Nobody understands. And yet, I want to remind you of this scripture that I just read, that there is no situation. This scripture here says temptation, but you could say grief. There is no grief. There's no sorrow that is taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will, with the temptation, make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. First of all, you need to recognize that your situation is not greater grief. It is not a greater pain than other people have had. And some of you may think, well, what will that benefit me? Well, for one thing, if you allow yourself to fall into this deception that your situation is worse, nobody can relate to you. Nobody understands. If you allow yourself to fall into that, then you exempt yourself from the answer that anybody else has to offer, any comfort that anyone else has to offer, because, after all, you're in a league of your own. You are in a class by yourself. And so it's just like Satan has isolated you. Nobody can minister to you because nobody has ever had your problem. That is not true. As much as it may feel like your grief is greater than anybody else has borne, that is not what this says. Matter of fact, it's not only 
that you are not the unique person, but it's common is what this says. It is common to man. You know, if there is somebody listening to this tape who is a very young person, then you may have lived your life and never have really been through a very tragic situation. But I can just guarantee you, if you live to be 50, 60, 70, 80 years old, you are going to see a lot of tragedy in your life. Life is a terminal experience. There is a lot of sorrow and hurt that goes on in the world. And only a very young person who's lived an isolated life may have the, the perspective that, you know, they've never really had a big problem in their life. But any person who has lived any length of time is going to suffer some real heartache and real heartbreak. That's just the way that life is. God doesn't do that to us, but life is a terminal experience. It's hard. And so the point that I'm making is for you to think that you are unique is absolutely wrong and it will isolate you from everybody else who could be a comfort to you. Everybody else may not know your exact feelings at that moment, but don't fall into this thing of thinking that nobody can comfort me. Nobody's been where I've been. You know, I've never committed adultery. And yet I have ministered to many people who have, and I've shared the truth with them about how to come out of that adultery. I've never been bankrupt, but I've ministered to many people who have, and I've shown them the truths of God's Word. God's Word will work for you. And don't despise people who are trying to reach out to you and help you. Maybe they don't know exactly how you feel at this moment, but your grief is not unique. It is not greater than everybody else's. As a matter of fact, it's common. And there are principles and things that you can learn from every person who's trying to reach out to you and help you. The scripture says that for a man to have friends, he must show himself friendly. And that applies in this situation of grief, too. If you want to be comforted, if you want people to help you, then you have to open up. You can't turn people off. You can't take uh, your hurt and pain and strike out at other people. You have to humble yourself and let other people help you. And sure, there's people that will kick you when you're down. Sure, there's people who are into their own deal and they won't recognize your hurt and pain and they will be insensitive to you. But I can guarantee you, whoever is listening to this tape, there are also people that God will bring across your path to help you. And don't turn them off. Show yourself friendly. Open up. Ask for help. Tell someone what you're feeling. Reach out and God will help you through other people. Don't allow yourself to think nobody can help me. That is not true. And it goes on to say in this 1 Corinthians 13, 10.13, that God is faithful. This not only applies in temptation, but this applies when you're suffering grief. Again, Isaiah 53, 4 says that the Lord bore your sorrows and carried your griefs. And God is faithful. God wants to relieve you. God wants to minister comfort to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I've already used that. In verse 3 and 4, it says, He comforts us in all of our tribulation so that we know how to comfort others with, with the same comfort wherewith we ourselves have been comforted. God is there to minister to you, and you need to receive it. Don't sit there and discredit 
the things that I'm saying, the things that other people say, the things that the Holy Spirit is saying, because God has ways of getting to you. He's faithful. And remember this, he will not suffer you to be tempted. Or you could say he won't suffer you to sorrow or grieve. Above that you are able, but will with the temptation or the sorrow or the grief also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. God knows you, and God is not going to let you suffer more than you can bear. Again, there have been a couple of times in my life that I honestly thought I couldn't live through the night. I honestly thought I could not survive this. I have hurt so badly that I just thought I can't stand it. And yet this passage of Scripture has come to me in those times, and I've realized that, God, apparently I have greater capabilities than what I've ever understood, and I'm going to trust your word, and I'm going to stand on the fact that I can bear this, and that you will make a way to escape, that I will get over this, and I am going to bear it. This doesn't mean that I necessarily ever forget some of the tragic things that happen in my life, but I am going to go on with my life. I am going to have hope. And brothers and sisters, you know, in my life, again, I'm not going to give all of the specifics, but like I said, I thought I couldn't live through the night. I thought I couldn't bear it. And I thought, what was the point of bearing it at the time that some of these things happened to me? You know, I had no idea I'd ever be in the ministry. I had no idea that God would ever do some things in my life that could help somebody else. And from the perspective where I was, I remember in Vietnam was one of those times. And it just looked like, you know, people were trying to kill me. I had a very good chance of being killed. What's the use? And there was a period of time there that I just asked God to kill me and take me home. There was no reason to go on living. But you know what? If I would have uh, followed through with that, if I hadn't have taken courage by this scripture, and if I hadn't have started believing God and coming out of that, then I wouldn't have gone into the ministry. I wouldn't have experienced the blessings that I have in my personal life. But you know what? I also wouldn't have been a blessing to other people. And there's been millions of people blessed as God moves through my life. I want to offer that to you. You may you don't know what the future holds. And you may, in your state right now just think there's no point in going on but there is if god has left you here if you're breathing then you are a person that has the potential of manifesting god in your life you could be carrying someone's miracle someone else's life could be changed you could spare somebody the heartache and the sorrow that you're going through right now if you just pull yourself together and let god work his work through you So you know what? If you won't do it for yourself, you've got to do it for the other people who depend on you, for the people that you may not even know of who could be touched by the miracle that God works in your life. And so you've got to consider those things and recognize that this scripture says God is faithful to you and God will not allow your sorrow, your grief to be more than you can bear. And there will be a way that God will make for you to escape. You know, my wife and I were just talking this afternoon, and she saw a pillow in one of these magazines. And it says um, that God won't allow me to suffer more than I can bear. And it was something to the effect that, man, I just wish God didn't trust me so much. And, of course, that's kind of making light of the situation. But you know what? God does trust you, and God will not 
allow you. There will be supernatural provision, and you need to count on that and rely on it. The Bible says weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And you need to recognize that. The sun will rise, and praise God, you just need to pull yourself together and go on. Also, you need another thing, another benefit of recognizing that your situation isn't unique is found in 1 Peter chapter 5 and in verse 9. And it's talking about in the verse 7 and 8, it talks about your adversary, the devil, is going about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In verse 9, it says, Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. And, you know, this has been very comforting to recognize that there are other people that have suffered just like you have. I, I can't talk to you face to face. I can't tell. I don't know your exact situation, but I can guarantee you on the authority of the word of God that other people, many, many other people have suffered every bit as much as you have. And if you will allow yourself, you can draw comfort from the fact that your other brothers and sisters have suffered and they have lived through it and they've gone on and it'll give you hope. That's exactly what this is saying. You have to recognize that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. I remember a time when I was first getting started in ministry, and I can't say that I was in full-blown grief, but I certainly was fighting discouragement, despondency, depression, because, man, I was trying to minister and People were staying away from my meetings by the droves, and I was giving it all I had, and I was fighting discouragement. And during that period of time, this would have been around 1972, I went over to Fort Worth and heard Kenneth Copeland minister at the Will Rogers Auditorium. And for a period of months, I don't even know how long, but I'm sure it was at least six months, could have been over a year, Kenneth Copeland rented Will Rogers Auditorium, and yet there was only 200, 300 people in there, and the thing could have seated four to 5,000, something like that. It was just giant, and it looked like this little tiny group of people down there in the front. And I remember I went over there, and I was struggling with my own feelings about, man, am I? does anybody care? Am I making a difference? And I was dealing with these emotions. And I remember when I got there, and saw Kenneth Copeland, who I really respected and felt like was a thousand miles ahead of where I was, and yet here he was dealing with the same thing. I might have only had 10 people at my church in an auditorium that had seat 200, but he had 200 in an auditorium that had seat three to 5,000. It was a very similar type of thing, and I saw him dealing with it and going on and being positive and saying, I believe in the name of Jesus this place is going to be full, and it's just like First Peter chapter 5, verse 9 says, I saw the same afflictions in Kenneth Copeland that I saw in myself, and it encouraged me, thinking, you know what, it's not just me. It's not just because I'm a terrible person that this terrible thing has happened to me. This is common to all. The same afflictions are... Uh, in every one, and it ministered comfort and peace to me. You need to accept that same thing in your situation and recognize that this is not unique to you. There have been lots of people. Of course, the Word of God is full of situations of people 
who uh, experienced tragedy and wrote about it and talked about how they overcame that tragedy. And this is one of the things that I've also done. Man, I turned to the Word of God. Go to reading about David who experienced, you know, uh, terrible things. I mean, he had guilt and shame come on him for his own actions when, when he committed adultery and then committed murder, and yet God forgave him and he had to pick up and go on from there. Then he had his children rebel at him and try and kill him, and he saw his son Absalom killed. He saw another son killed, Amnon, I think it was. And uh, he saw one of his daughters raped by another son. He saw terrible things happen. Of course, he saw the tragedies of war and all of these kind of things. He went through being persecuted when he was innocent. And just nearly anything that you could imagine, David suffered it, and yet he came through it. And you can turn over to those Psalms where he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? I mean, he had just talked about the terrible things happening in his life. But then he'll come back with, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for his help and for his supply. And you see in David that he suffered, and yet there's still positiveness, and he still finished his course. And it just encourages you. So I encourage you to go back to Scripture and just begin to pour through Scripture and find comfort in that. Even if you don't have a personal acquaintance who you can look at and see the same things, you can find people in the Word of God that have certainly suffered as greatly as you are suffering, and you can take comfort from them and be encouraged out of it. Also, you need to recognize that the Scripture does teach us that good can come out of evil. Now, in my second tape, I'm going to really amplify on a point here that God is not the one who took a person from you, caused the tragedy in your life. God did not do this to work some redemptive purpose. Now, that is diametrically opposed to what most people will say when they're trying to minister comfort to people, but I think that this is essential. So I'm going to deal with that on the second tape, but... I just do want to make it clear that even though God doesn't cause evil in our life, God can bring good out of evil. And there's a lot of scriptures that talk about this. Again, I'm going to deal with this verse more on our second tape, but in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, and I I want to say that you really need to get the teaching on the second tape to get the full impact of this, but in Romans chapter 8 and in verse 28, It says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. This is not saying that God causes the tragedy. God did not cause the evil, but God can work it together for good if you will do the things that are stipulated here in this passage of Scripture. So I'm trying to encourage you and say that even though tragedy is hit, Good can come out of tragedy. I've already mentioned one of the things that happens is, you know, I mentioned these terrorist attacks on America that immediately people's priorities changed. People who were just so upset because they were in a traffic jam and they were ready to just get mad and scream and yell, all of a sudden they hear about the terrorist attacks. And you know what? Their traffic jam isn't important. doesn't matter really whether they get to the job on time. All of a sudden they realize priorities changed. There may have been people who were just working their fingers to the bone for the almighty buck. And yet when tragedy strikes, you know what? All of a sudden they realize family is important. And I can guarantee you, I I haven't heard the personal 
testimonies, but I I can guarantee you, based on what I know from the Word of God and and how people are dealing with people, that there were people that realigned their entire priorities and said, you know what, family, people are what's important, not this business. Not to say that we don't become faithful and we become sloppy and not good stewards of what God's given us. But, I mean, you have to establish priorities. And I can guarantee you that there's people who all of a sudden put their business and making a living and becoming successful and recognition from other people and on and on. Things that aren't bad in themselves, but when they get out of priority and they become God to us, they are bad. And I can guarantee you there's people who took those things and put them down below their wife, their children and relationships. There's people who called each other just to say, you know, I'm thinking about you and people are more important to me than other things. See, this is one of the things that happens in tragedy and I think that every person can relate to this. Probably the majority of people listening to this uh, tape remember exactly where you were when these terrorist attacks hit America. It's just like, you know, when uh, I remember when John F. Kennedy, President Kennedy, was assassinated. I remember exactly where I was as a 14-year-old boy. I remember exactly where these certain tragedies happened. And I remember the impact that it made. I remember when my dad died, that all of a sudden, you know, I realized the things that some of the young people, my friends, my peers around me, the things that they were all excited about, about whether they were going to be good in football, about whether this girl liked them, about popularity and all of these kind of things. I remember thinking, you know, none of that's important. Man, I lost my dad. I was sh- I was shaken into having to confront these priorities at a young age. And, you know, one of the good things that came out of that, I don't believe that God killed my dad. I don't believe that God brought evil in my life so that he could do something good. I believe that, no, this was the devil, and I'll deal with that on the second tape. But one of the things that came out of that was that, you know what, my priorities were different than my peers. When I was in the sixth grade, when my dad died, it sobered me up. It brought me to a different level. And while other kids were out there willing to kill, willing to give up their virginity, willing to do anything so that they could be accepted, so that they could be like others, so that they could go out here and be wild. You know what? I realized that stuff wasn't important. I had a different perspective than most of my friends. And it's not all because of losing my dad, but I guarantee that was a factor that that shook me into reality. And my priorities were different than my friends. Do you know that's something good that can come out of this? And I, like I said, through pastoring churches and dealing with people, I have dealt with hundreds of people at funerals. And as you sit around and talk, this is one of the things that always come up. People say, you know, I should have given more time to this person. I didn't realize that I wasn't going to be able to tell them. I didn't get to say goodbye. I didn't get to tell them how much I love them. I didn't appreciate them. And all of a sudden, their priorities get realigned. And they say, you know, I'm going to change. I'm going to show people then I love them. I'm going to give more priority to people. People are what's important. And so I see this happen all of the time. But many times in an effort to deal with the grief and move on with our lives, people will throw themselves back into their jobs, throw themselves back into situations for the purpose of kind of escaping. They just handle these emotions of grief 
for a period of time, it seems to be overwhelming and it's like they've got to escape. And so they will throw themselves back into work and back into situations and in a sense try and numb themselves to the pain that they've felt. And one of the bad things that goes along with that is that because they become so occupied with other things, once again, their priorities get all out of line. I want to encourage you that if you've really been dealing with grief, that there are some positive things to come out of it. And even though it might seem tempting to try and escape and just throw yourself into doing something, a career, work night and day so that you don't have time to stop and think and feel, I think that's the wrong reaction. Instead, you should throw yourself over on the Lord. And every time you feel that grief seems to be overwhelming you, you need to go and say, Father, you bore my sorrows. You carried my griefs. And you need to let his love just give you that hope and enable you to endure all things. And don't miss the lessons that you can learn out of this. Don't miss the positive things. There are positive things that can come out of it. Being sober and realizing that, you know, there are things more important than football. There are things more important than some of these other things. Again, after these terrorist attacks, I never thought I would hear this in the United States. But they canceled all of the National Football League games on the the weekend after those attacks. And I actually heard a professional football coach say that, uh, you know, football is trivial compared to the things that we had witnessed. And he says it just would be inappropriate to go out and play a game. Well, now, I believe that. And I've, I've known that to be true. But you know what? I It seemed like that that was a minority opinion. And I certainly didn't think that somebody who makes their living doing this would ever say that. But you know what? When tragedy struck, that's one of the things that happened, that all of a sudden priorities were realigned. And it's a shame that we get so in an effort to escape those emotions that we lose that benefit. I think that there is good that can come out of tragedy, and you need to recognize that. Let me share another scripture with you out of Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 2 and 3. It says here, Ecclesiastes 7, 2 and 3, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. Verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. In verse 4, it says, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Now, this is not saying that there isn't time to rejoicing. The scripture says in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, when the people realized how they had sinned against the Lord, they began to wail and repent. And Nehemiah told them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Psalm 16, verse 11 says that in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. It says over in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, that when we are in faith, we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And it says in Philippians chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So I am not saying that we should just constantly be mourning. But these verses out of Ecclesiastes are showing us that there is benefit to mourning. 
that it makes the heart better. It makes you empathize and feel more sympathy and pity for other people. Uh, There's just a lot of things that happen in our life. One of the things, like I've been sharing here about priorities, all of a sudden you realize what's important. Don't lose that. And recognize that as terrible as whatever has gone on in your life is, that there is good that can come out of it. God can work it together for good. And remember that God is faithful to you. The Lord has already borne your sorrows and carried your griefs. That is not just a scripture. That's a reality. Jesus was touched with the feeling of your infirmities. Jesus knows exactly what you're feeling. And regardless of the people around you, I can guarantee you that Jesus knows. And the Holy Spirit is sent to comfort us in all of our tribulation. And so it's a matter of just letting him comfort you. You know, if you are a person who's already been born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit, and if you speak in tongues, in Isaiah chapter 28, it says that when you speak in tongues, that this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. And that's quoted in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And it says that specifically that's talking about speaking in tongues. So one of the things that happens when you speak in tongues, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, says when you speak in tongues, you, you are building up yourself, edifying yourself. It says in Jude chapter 1 and verse uh, 20, it says building up yourself on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. If you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, then you ought to speak in tongues if you're in a situation that's been grieving you. And the Holy Spirit will build you up, edify you. He will build you up on your most holy faith. It'll refresh you. This will give rest to you. And those are some of the things. The Holy Spirit has been sent to comfort you, but you have to allow him to do it. So I encourage you to take heart and recognize that your situation isn't unique. Other people have felt it. You can take comfort in the fact that your brethren in this world are, are suffering the same afflictions and yet they survive and they go on and it can minister hope to you. And you can recognize that there is good that can come out of this and you can recognize that the Holy Spirit is specifically given to encourage you in a time of grief. The Holy Spirit is there regardless of what you feel like. He is there and he wants to comfort you more than you want to be comforted. But you've got to exhibit a little faith. You've got to say, Father, I do believe, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, that you are faithful, that you are making a way. I am coming through this. You are helping me to bear this. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 and 9, that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And you've got to get hold of that and believe it. And then start edifying yourself, speak in tongues, and build yourself up, promote spiritual growth, encourage yourself, refresh yourself, and it'll work. The Holy Spirit will do it. But as it says over in uh, Romans chapter 8, I use that verse in verse 28 that says that uh, all things work together for good. In verse 26, 
it says that the whole we know not how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit helpeth our infirmities. If you look at those words in the Greek, it says that he literally takes hold together with us. When it's talking about that he helps us, he doesn't do it for us. It's not a matter of you just throwing a prayer out and saying, oh, God, I'm miserable. Help me. But no, you have to take hold together with the Holy Spirit. If you will begin to encourage yourself. If you will speak in tongues, if you will begin to start exhibiting faith, if you will take a step and reach out to someone and believe God for some positive things, if you will take a step of faith, you'll find that the Holy Spirit is there and he'll take hold together with you. He's not going to do it all for you. It's like a person, you know, who's uh, having someone reach down offering to help them up. The Holy Spirit is reaching down, but you have to reach up and put your hand in his And when you do that, then you'll connect and then his power and his comfort will begin to flow through you. But you are going to have to stand up and begin to start exhibiting some faith and not allow this sorrow, not allow the grief to overcome you. Well, I think that these things that we've shared on this first tape are a good beginning. They're critical. We're going to deal with a lot more on this. We're going to talk about how that God is not the one who caused this grief in your life. And that is, I'd say that probably 90% of the people who are trying to comfort others are trying to minister comfort to you by telling you it's God that did this and God had a purpose in doing it. I don't believe that's true, and I'll share with you about why I believe it is so comforting to know that God is not the one who committed this evil and, and caused this evil in your life. I'm also going to be talking about just a lot of things about how you can prosper and how to deal with grief. So I believe this will bless you. I hope that this first tape has helped you and, and be sure and uh, take advantage of the rest of this series. Father, I just pray for any person who is grieving right now, a genuine, legitimate grief. I just stand on these things that we've talked about, that, Father, you are faithful to them, that you have already made it a way to escape, that there is a way to bear this. I know that you want to minister to these people and encourage them. And so, Father, I just pray in agreement with them right now. Holy Spirit, I loose you into their life. I loose this comfort unto them. Father, I thank you that you are helping them, Father, to recognize that there is good that can come out of this. That the, by the sorrow of the heart, there uh, by the sorrow of the countenance, their heart is going to be made better. That, Father, they're going to be a better person for it. Father, help them to learn these lessons about priorities. Help them not to make the mistakes that they've made in the past. And, Father, also help give them an understanding that there's other people who are suffering that need them to appropriate your supply in this situation so that they can help them, so that, Father, they can go on and fulfill your purpose and your plan for their life. Father, I just thank you. I believe that you're doing that, and so I agree with them, and I believe that you are working miracles right now, that depression, grief is coming off of people, and that, Father, you are setting people free, and I thank you for doing it in Jesus' name. Amen.